success story comes at the end of a lot of horror stories. Everybody hates going through it. It's rough. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You're going to put a lot of people in a situation where they're uncomfortable. But the important thing to remember is you have to do it. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hey, welcome everybody. It's Jim here. We're coming to you today from our beautiful downtown Chicago studio. And we want you to know that this is the podcast to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders just like you. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm sitting next to my good friend and co-host, Jason Zanger. And I'm really excited tonight to have on another co-podcaster with us. He's coming to us via Skype all the way out in the East Coast in beautiful Massachusetts. I don't know exactly where he's at, but uh, hopefully near Boston, one of my true favorite urban cities. But uh, this gentleman's name we have tonight with us is John Barrar. John is a very distinguished person. He's got a lot of knowledge in CNC. He's got a lot of knowledge in podcasting. And this is really the first time that uh, Jason and I have ever had on as a guest a fellow podcaster. So uh, welcome, John. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to have you remotely in our studio tonight. How does it feel Thank to be in Chicago? It feels really strange, right? Thank you very much for having me on tonight. Yeah, so just to clarify, John is the host of MakerCast, which is a podcast dedicated to makers. So anybody from that's making chips in the metalworking industry or even even making chips in the woodworking industry. Uh, I know that he's had episodes that discuss robotics and also about educating kids for the maker movement in high school. That's correct. Why don't we just get into this episode? Um, We have John on the show to discuss ERP and MRP. So these are, you know, sometimes for your your average guy that grows up in the in the machining industry, somebody like Jim, um, these could be intimidating acronyms. I know that you know Jim's got his little acronym book and he's you know writing these acronyms down as we speak. If you've listened to the podcast, John, you know how acronyms drive me nuts, and it's just one one after the other. But anyway, I, I'm excited that you're here to talk about this because I think it's a it's a very valid thing that we need to equip the manufacturing community with is what options do we have as manufacturers to help us operate our business better through an ERP MRP system. So why don't you take us back a little bit and tell us about what is the direct function of an ERP MRP system. Why don't you give me and our listeners a little bit of an education about exactly what those particular products do for us and how they simplify our life? Certainly, Jim. If I can just set the stage a little bit so that the listener has an idea of where this is coming from, I too spent my formative years in a CNC machine shop. And so 
I have an understanding of how the flow would happen from quote to cash. One of the things that has come up through with my education is the idea that an ERP or an enterprise resource planning tool versus an MRP, which is your materials resource planning tool, are two related but somewhat different aspects. A larger company might use an ERP or an inter- enterprise resource planning tool because that is it's an all-encompassing program and it's integrated with all the facets of the business. The difference being with the MRP, that might be a standalone program that works side by side another standalone program. An example might be So what you're saying is an enterprise system is all-encompassing. The MRP is a part of or could be a part of the enterprise system. Is that right? That's right. So you might have the tool crib software is run standalone, and then you might have some non-conformance tracking software that runs in a different part of the business. And MRP basically are islands of themselves that might trans, that might talk to each other, but then again, they might not. So usually smaller companies or older companies usually find themselves stuck with MRP, maybe from a cost standpoint, maybe from a user adoption standpoint. But it's really when you make the decision as a business owner to go with an ERP that you're starting to bring it all under one umbrella and and information can flow, like I said, from quote to cash through all aspects of your business. Now, I should say that I do not work for any software company. And I would want the listener to know that I've gone through it from a user standpoint. I'm not paid by any software company. I'm bringing to you some real world experience as to what I saw when I was in the trenches so that I can relate this information out to the business owners and hopefully they'll get a good handle on when it's time to do an ERP changeover. Okay, so I get it. I'm totally trending with you right now, John. And I can see a lot of old school machine shops, manufacturing companies out there across this country that are using a small little island, like you said, of an MRP system. So if you've invested those money, you're used to using those particular systems and and software. How do you bring all those islands together in one universe and have them all working succinctly with each other? If you have different people within the organization, I suppose it really depends on the size of the organization. A small shop, a small CNC machine shop might have one or two people that handle all the overhead or offline activity that supports the workflow. The idea behind getting up and running with an ERP is truly to support all the influx that is making jobs reach the CNC machine tool or reach whatever whatever machinery you're, you're using. The idea is keep work coming. So ERP truly supports all the other facets of the business. Now, if you have people in a small shop that handle everything from quoting to making the packing list and generating the invoice and cutting the purchase order for the steel and and they wear many hats. You're talking my language. I'm, you're okay. talking my language. They might use spreadsheets. They might have notebooks. They might have a list of contacts folded up in a in a notebook in their desk drawer. And all this these islands of information need to be brought together so that they can be utilized at the right time by the right people. Imagine an owner that has always handled everything himself and now he's thinking about my business is booming and I need to bring on some extra help. 
the information that he has cataloged somewhere has to be standardized so that the new people he onboard have to have access to it. In a medium-sized shop, you might find that three people, maybe four people handle the offline activities. There might be a buyer that they're dedicated and that's what they do all day long. There's more than likely a salesman or an estimator that works independent from the buyer, that they truly are two different people. And they start to need their own islands of information to talk to one another. What is the best source for some raw materials? What is the schedule saying that I can put on the, on the number one mill because I got my hot customer that is, that is dying to get this job. So the, the information needs to start to flow between more people. If these people have islands of information unto themselves, if they're not in the office one day, they're not going to be able to get the answers that they need. So this is what starts to drive the need to, to start to make it be cohesive and come together. And in a large company, when you might have 10 people doing discrete tasks through the course of the day, the scheduler, the planner, the shop foreman, the department foreman, the inspection department, the sales force, the estimator, and those sorts of things, now you really have a need to have connectivity with all the business information being available to the right people at the right time. So how do we make it work? What would you recommend? So let's kind of like highlight a, a a small CNC machine shop out in the middle of Nebraska that has, oh... Seven employees, president, maybe one office administrator, uh, office manager, uh, one lead guy or two lead guys in the shop. They're doing pretty good. Business is really good. They're successful. They're getting in new customers every day. And they've got these little islands and they've got all these statistical, what they think are solutions to, to how to make the business flow. How do they make it all encompassing? How do they take all that information? How do they make it formal? and formalize the plan. They have all the information that they need. It's just the matter that the information is disjoined. So the best way to approach a situation is for everyone to come together and start to put some bullet points on a board and figure out who wants what. The salesperson wants access to schedule and contacts. The buyer wants access to demand. And if these people are, the, are one and the same, they still need to talk to the rest of the group to get all these ideas out on paper. And the big question on everybody's mind, especially ownership, is a question of ROI. What is this going to cost and how long is this going to take that I can see the results of what we do? Whether it's a small shop, a medium shop, or even a large shop, the expectation is that you can start to see ROI within three to five years. And the way I figured that is, because ERP is all about the support services, the support of the shop, you look at it as if an individual can save a half an hour of time and you look at, let's take a basic rate like $30 an hour, and I understand that it's different from different parts of the country, but if they can save a half an hour of time in their daily activity, if there's three people doing daily activities, blah, 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 that takes it out if they buy a $30,000 software system, that it's going to probably be about five years before they start to see the other side of that. The same thing with medium size. There's going to be more people involved. There'll be more people that can hopefully save that half an hour a day. And that's at, that's at the beginning. Hopefully that number goes up. The larger the shop, the larger the cost of the software is going to be. A medium sized shop might be looking at $40,000, $45,000 for a, a fully implemented, robust ERP solution. 
And to get that half an hour a day, 30 bucks an hour, and get that translate across four people through the course of the whole year, again, you're looking at three to five years for an ROI. Yeah, John, oh my God, three to five years, you know, that seems so daunting. I mean, just from my perspective, I mean, we have a vision, we have a strategic vision for the company on where we want to go in three to five years, but it seems like it would take that long to do, but it's hard for me to, to actually think about having that major transition in my company to, to move to be fully enterprised over that period of time. Have, have you had success stories that you want to share that you've seen? Is, is this the company that you worked for, they went ahead and implemented this and it was a success story after that amount of time? Well, going back to the research phase that I went through leading up to the point where the product was purchased, we actually took about 14 months to make the decision with what program we wanted to go with. And that, that's an awful long time. That was, that was probably a little bit too long. But during those 14 months, I conducted an exhaustive interview process with lots of different shop owners. Like about how many different shops did you engage with? There was eight different companies that I interacted with. And now some of those companies were introduced to me from the software companies themselves. Now with that comes the idea that the software company isn't going to, they're going to put their best foot forward. And I understand that. There was some real success stories there. Now, alternately, there were shops that I knew through my daily interaction whether they were a subcontractor or even if they were a customer, because you know how shops shop between each other, and asking them deep questions. Do you use the software? And and going through a, a routine of questions with these guys about what they experience on a daily basis. The success story comes at the end of a lot of horror stories. Everybody hates going through it. It's rough. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You're going to put a lot of people in a situation where they're uncomfortable. But the important thing to remember is you have to do it. It's going to be bumpy. It's going to be uncomfortable for those three years. It's it's going to cost you money. But to start to see, start to see the, the wheels rolling and start to see that that money coming back, that's typical. It's certainly not the rule. It can take a lot longer and it can take shorter. The goal is that you would you would want it to take shorter. That that half an hour a day all of a sudden becomes I'm saving two hours a day. And maybe you're a person that is going to retire and then you don't you find you don't need to re- replace them. Right. Right. Got it. So I, so you interviewed eight companies. They were telling you what they were doing. You were getting excited about the feedback that you were getting from them. So then after all that, how many different software companies did you interview? Because to find an ERP system that is really strategic and aligned with the manufacturing company is kind of hard. I mean, there's not a plethora of them out there. I, I would say there's only, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, maybe six major players in that industry. Is that right? I would say six. I'd agree with six major okay. players. There are certainly more, and they're they're either at the tail end and they don't know which way is up or they're exploratory. I think that's one that I'm using, but that's we're not going to say any names, but No, we won't say any no, names. No, we but, don't want to like we said there's some that are that are at the tail end of their run and there's also some that are exploratory that probably don't have a customer yet. But in that sweet spot, I agree. There's there's six major players. And well, certainly they, there's also this is Jason. There there's also some that are a better fit for the size of company that you might be. So, you know, there might be ones that are better fit for a small shop versus I would not recommend for your average small shop to implement or something like that. You know, I think that would be 
not cost effective, but probably disastrous for a shop like Jim's. You know, so you really have to look, take that into consideration as well. Right. That is definitely not, but that would be a robust system that would work in multi-language, multi-currency. So that's certainly not a gym size shop option. So have you ever seen like just some disasters in, in ERP uh, implementation? So, you know, somebody just royally screwed up and it, and it really affected their business. I can't think of anything other than there was one company that I spoke to that they they didn't share the project with their people. Management came in, said, this is what's happening. I'm trusting my outside software guy. And Monday morning when you come in, there's, your screen's going to look different. And that is the absolute worst way to proceed. And that that is a great way to screw up an ERP implementation. In fact, there's a couple of different ways to screw up an ERP implementation. And if you don't mind, I'll just I'll just run through those real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Certainly. The first way you can screw it up is to ignore your people. You have to ask the questions and listen to the answers that people give you. I mean, just because you're the boss doesn't mean that you have all the answers. The fact that you have these other people around you, it's a testimony of the fact that you can't do everything. And if you can't do everything, different people do things differently. They're not going to do it just like you. They're going to do it better than you, and you need to listen to them. The other way to screw it up is if you ignore your peers. If you hear horror stories from from your guys in your tooling associations, um, it's it's the same thing. They've probably gone through a changeover, and you want to listen to what they say. And the, and the last piece is if it's a gut feeling, if you ignore that gut feeling that says the software consultant is full of bull and they're trying to sling a bunch of stuff at you that you don't think you're going to use, you're probably right. Um, yeah, that's system- definitely one of, one of the things that I've seen a lot in ERP systems is that they get sold based on all of these really fancy things that you can do and... You know, four years later, after after implementation, you still haven't implemented that one piece that you thought was so great, and that was the reason why you chose that software package is because it did X. And after four years, you still hadn't implemented it. You know, all those bells and whistles don't always get used. What I can say about that is during the selection process, what I did was I wrote a script. And I ignored all the bells and whistles that the salesman wanted me to show, wanted to, me to see. And I took a job that we would typically do with raw material cutting and preparatory operations and sending it for an outside service like heat treating, bringing it back in, finish machining, sending it out for another outside operation like plating. And then the final wrap ups and show me where all the costs come from and show me the outputs at the end. And I gave them the script that I wanted to see run through their system. And I gave it to them about two weeks, a week before they were coming into my facility. So that way they had time to put that script into their demo system so I could see it run from soup to nuts. There were some guys that did it and some guys thought that they were going to do it on the fly right there sitting with me. And then the guy that thought he was going to do it on the fly crashed and burned. And it showed me the level of detail that he put into his sales demo. And he got kicked off the list pretty quick. But the idea that seeing that script play out is applicable to the shop that I was working in. And if I was going to take that demo and show it to an say an owner and say, this is the software that I selected that I think makes the most sense. I want your input on this. He could see that that's a part that he recognized and he understands the flow through as opposed to saying, here's some sheet metal widgets, but hey, John, we don't work with sheet metal that the sales demo guy would have wanted to put up. That's a number one piece of 
advice that I can give is give your own script to these guys. Let them show you how your parts are going to run through. John, another another major issue, of course, because you know we're talking to smaller manufacturers is cost. Cost is is probably one of the biggest issues surrounding the reason why a lot of people just don't want to take on this new daunting task. What should a small manufacturer in the range of about five to 25 people look at what should they benchmark for cost to implement just the software and training itself, not the onboarding process and what it's going to take the people to learn the system. I'm just talking about what is that software going to cost to onboard, get everybody teed up and go. From two is what I'm looking for in numbers. It should from this amount to this amount and somewhere in between. You might see prices as low as $5,000 and you're not getting a lot of bang for your buck. You might see prices as high as $50,000. And I know that's a very, very wide range, but the reason that you have that wide of yeah, a that's, range that's is... Yeah, that's 10 times, 10 times the yeah, amount. That, yeah, yeah, it's awful. But from between those six, the, they come in, they evaluate the business or in so much as they say they do. And I feel they price it the way they feel they can get away with it. They do a lot of listening when they're investigating how they're going to sell the system to you. At the end, brass tacks, when you get formal quotes in hand, you can expect somewhere between ten dollars and $25,000. The reason I truncate from the bottom is that you're going to let those bottom feeders fall off, that they're, they're not accurate. The reason I, I truncate it down from the top is that might be a high number to, to test the waters. And you might not need that software either. You start to get three prices that are in the neighborhood, the neighborhood is going to be that 10 to 20 range. Now, the important part to note is the implementation of the software is very hard to quantify. Some places will say, sure, we're going to have you up and running in three to five days. That is a joke. Some companies are going to say, it's going to take a 100 man days to get your organization up and running. That's a bit much. And there's a lot of fluff built into there. Doing your homework and getting comparative quotes is first and foremost. Great, John. So we want to kind of wrap this episode up. Do you have any, you know, kind of parting words, some advice that you would give to um, machine owners out there um, when they're thinking about implementing an ERP or an MRP software program? The number one thing is that you have to listen to your people. I mean, we are in the people business. Our machines don't run themselves. You have to listen to what the people are asking for, or maybe they don't even know what they're asking for. So would you say like putting together a um, a small network, a subcommittee, I guess, in your organization to, to go into picking out and implementing this um, this new software program? Absolutely. Get the involvement of all the major players, if it's a larger shop, maybe some department heads, or if it's a small shop, get everybody together. Buy a couple pizzas and stay late one night and just hash it out. But the important thing is that you listen to what the people say. That's first and foremost. Great. Well, John, we appreciate you being on the show and, and thank you for all the insightful information. And once again, for our listeners, if you want to hear more from John, if you want to hear about the maker movement, go to podcastformakers.com or you can go into your podcast player and search MakerCast. John, thank you for being on our show. 
It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And as Jim and I always say, you know, we don't have all the answers, which is why we bring on, you know, these experts to um, to be on making chips. And I feel that John was a good voice to have on there because he's not pitching a software. He doesn't work for a software company. He works in a shop and he understands the ins and outs of utilizing these ERP systems. And, and I think he's a good voice for the metalworking nation. And with that, well, I just want to say what my dad always said. If you're not making chips, John, you know what the answer to that one's going to be? You're not making money. All right, bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. John, you know what the answer to that one's going to be? You're not making money. All right, bam. That was the test. See, I really do listen to the show. There you go. <laughs> exactly the test. Thanks, uh, for, thanks for answering. I was yeah. thinking on the back there. <laughs>